night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. As we kick off another week here, I, I had an epiphany over the weekend. I want to see what you think of this, uh, this idea. Um, you know, you see me sitting here in this chair in this studio every night, well, almost every night doing the show. And I thought to myself, it would be really cool if I could do this show from the couch. So what if I change the name of the show to Couch Potato Paranormal? Would that still, would that fly? And I could just lie on the couch. I'm, I'm sure I could set up a mic boom so that it, it comes down and, you know, is in the right place. And I could still talk. I could still ask questions, but I could do it from the comfort of my couch. I don't see anything wrong with this idea. In fact, I think it might be quite genius. Let's see what you guys think. Uh, we have a great show for you tonight. We're going to be talking about ET encounters, alien encounters. Nadine Lalich is our guest tonight. She'll be talking about her ET experiences and their significant experiences, by the way. We're also going to talk about alien technology and procedures. We're going to discuss hybrids. We're going to discuss military encounters. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of things, and this is going to be a very interesting conversation. We've been looking forward to this for a while. Um, tomorrow night, just so you know what we've got going on, John Gastel will be here to talk about Gray Matters. That's his book. And then Wednesday, Marla Fries will be our guest. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up on the show as we uh, prepare um, to enter August. I can't believe we're in August. The summer is winding down. Here in the Northeast, you know, by the end of August, it's pretty much no longer summer. Summer. You know, the fall weather hits pretty hard once you get into September. We still have nice days, don't get me wrong. But the nights are really cool, which I like. The leaves start turning, and we all start preparing for winter. You know, you know that you know what is it? This the the squirrel and the the ant. I don't know. One of them prepares, the other one doesn't. Well, we start preparing because uh, the winters are long and hard in upstate New York. And if you're not ready, it can uh, it can be devastating. So we're going to be uh, getting ready for winter soon, and I can't believe I'm even saying that. Let's go to break, and when we're done with the break, we'll have our guest, and we'll get this show started. It's Beyond Reality. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Our guest tonight, Nadine Lalich, is a retired paralegal who's entered the field of ufology in 2004 to investigate a series of frightening experiences that had transpired during the previous 13 years. We're going to get into all of that, plus we're going to get uh, into the discussion of alien technology, hybrids, the ET agenda, and the military, and its involvement with extraterrestrial encounters, and much, much more. Nadine, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's a real honor to have you with us tonight. Thank you, JV. I'm very happy to be here. Appreciate it. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Let's let's kind of get a sense of how this all started for you. And I don't mean necessarily your first experience, but more your awareness of maybe what was happening in the skies above us. Did you have any interest in it or any sense of what might be happening prior to your experiences? Um, not much in reality. I was really, you know, if you'd ask me, do I think there's life off planet, other species in the universe? I'd say yes. Logically, it makes sense. But 
um, my personal experience and interest in it really was a few television shows, a little bit of reading. Um, my, my experience is pretty much a, a great dramatic awakening uh, to an expanded reality. Uh, prior to that, I, mean, I had read some science fiction books and pondered here and there, but it was really not a focus of my research and my study uh, until, obviously, this event happened. So you're probably like most people where you've got a you know, little bit of curiosity. Everybody looks up at the sky once or twice in their life and says, wow, there's got to be something else out there. Um, but beyond that, it wasn't, it wasn't a real acute curiosity until you had your experiences. Exactly. No, I mean, it was uh, more of a fantasy world in my mind. It wasn't anything I spent time on. Um, but obviously that wasn't my destiny. <laughs> Yeah, so tell us how all of that changed. When and how? Well, um, it changed on a camping trip. Um, it was uh, June 15th, 1991. I was living in California, and I uh, was taking a long weekend with a girlfriend of mine. We drove in a van. We were headed to Sedona to do hiking, um, you know, hiking in the vortexes there. We got in there pretty late. We came down through the switchbacks, and... Um, about 20 miles north of downtown Sedona at the time, we decided we'd just pull over and we would sleep in the van and uh, start fresh in the morning. We pulled over into a daytime um, picnic area, um, and um, no one was there. It was empty. It was a very rustic spot, a dozen or so uh, areas to pull your car in. There was no electricity. It was abandoned. Uh, other than um, there were some picnic tables there. We pulled in. We took all of the belongings out of the van, set it on the picnic table. Uh, we had a little fire. They had fire pits there. Um, went to sleep probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock. And uh, I woke up an hour, hour and a half after that, and I heard sounds outside. My first thought, of course, is that there was somebody that was walking around outside the van. Sure. So I sat up and I listened carefully concerned, obviously, because we're two women alone here in the empty wilderness. (laughs) So um, the door opened all of a sudden at the back of the van, and the lights went on. And the first thing that I saw reaching towards me as soon as my eyes adjusted to the light was three fingers and a thumb and a long, thin, pasty gray arm. That was my introduction. How long did that what you just described to us, how long did that take to transpire from the point where you woke up to the, to the point where the door uh, doors of the van opened up and you saw a three, three fingered one thumbed hand. It would have been, I would say 60 to 90 seconds. I was already sitting up and listening, leaning towards the side of the van. Uh, so it's about a minute and a half by the time the door opened up. Okay. So and this, of course, when we went to sleep, the doors were locked. Yeah. So this wasn't a 20 minute, uh, you you sitting inside for 20 minutes wondering what the heck is going outside around your van, who's out there. This all oh, happened no, rather no. rapidly. Exactly, yes. And, and what was your friend doing at the time? Did she wake up? Well, it was curious because with her, she did not wake up. And through the whole event, uh, when I was taken out of the van and when I was returned several hours later and all the way until the next morning uh, when the sun came up about 5, 5.30, I could not wake her at all. She never stirred. It was only when I stepped out of the van the following morning after I had come back, and it was, like I say, about 5, 5.30 in the morning, then she just suddenly woke up. No matter what I had done when I came back, shaking her, hollering, I was 
fairly hysterical after the event. Nothing would rouse her. So do you think that she was under some form of artificially induced sleep? Yes, I do. Uh I do. It wasn't normal. It would not have been. There's no way that somebody could have slept through that. I mean, I was literally physically shaking her when I came back. I was I was jolted to my core. Um, when I stepped, you know, when I woke up or when I woke and I this hands coming towards me, I was aware of that again. Maybe we're talking in seconds, maybe another 15 seconds as this hand reached towards me. I lost consciousness. I regained consciousness, which happens in a lot of these events. It's fragmented. Mm-hmm. You come to, you go out, you come to, you go out. And I came to at the bottom of the uh, van standing outside on my bare feet with the door over top of me and seeing what I thought was two bald children, one on each side of me, because I was standing up straight. They were below me, and I had no reference point, of course. And I was paralyzed, and my chin was tucked down to my chest. And um, I have full conscious memory of that full experience, and then we moved. They lifted me up off the ground simply by putting their hands underneath my hands, and I raised up four or five inches, and we moved forward. Then I lost consciousness which had to have been for about an hour and a half or so, my next conscious recollection was being dropped, feeling like I was being dropped through the air. And it's not logical, but it felt like I came through the top of the van, mm-hmm. actually to the point of, of bouncing on top of my sleeping bag and uh, in a hysterical state. And as I said, I couldn't wake Pamela up. No matter what I tried to do, I couldn't rouse her. And I just stayed with my face pressed to that back window, terrified they were coming back. It's very very deeply shattering experience. Well, you know, the, you suddenly have your reality shattered. Yeah. There, there are so many ways that it, it is a deeply uh, shattering experience, but you um, were kind of in and out of consciousness there, consciousness there in the beginning. And then there's about an hour and a half that you, you say that you were completely unconscious or at least not aware of what was happening. And then you find yourself, what you've described as falling back into the van, back uh, onto your sleeping bag. Um, when you started to realize you were back in the van, um, you were still frightened, obviously. But did you have any idea? I mean, was was alien abduction coming to mind at all, or were you still <laughs> completely confused? Well, well, what I knew had just, you know, your, your mind races, and I'm not a particularly excitable person or into drama. And um, so your mind is racing, your body's full of adrenaline. You're trying to analyze, all right, could this be a, could this be a dream? It's not a dream. Could it be a this? Could it be that? Um, I've never had a hallucination. Could it be a hallucination? I don't drink or do drugs. Never have. It's not that. So you race through all of it. But the one thing I came up with beyond a shadow of a doubt is something physical had just taken me out of the van Mm -hmm. And then I was gone, and I was returned. And I had some fragmented memories. Later on, about um, it was oh, about a six months after that time, I did go to see a therapist. And we did, uh, it was the first time I ever attempted hypnotic regression. We tried a couple of times. Um, it did not contradict anything that I recalled happening consciously, but it did actually um, give me some pieces of being in a ship and being examined. Okay, so some of that started came back to you in fragments. Yes. Wow. So yes. 
Put yourself back in the van. You you just returned from that experience, even though you didn't really have an understanding of maybe what had happened or memories of any of the details. Uh, what did you do at that point? And did you notice anything physically? Were there marks on your arms or legs or anything? Well, at that time, on that particular experience, now, first of all, let's say I don't want it to be real, okay? Right. I'd rather have a logical explanation. Sure. You know, um, and that's what I would much rather have than than have this be anything else. I didn't think to check my body. I wasn't in that frame of mind. That's not something I would think of. Um, but it was evident to me by, you know, my emotional state, by the memories that were in my mind, by seeing these beings, these faces close up in my face. Um, it was very evident to me that something quite dramatic and out of the ordinary had actually happened to me. I wasn't questioning it. Once I was back in there, I knew something had happened. What these entities were, who they were, and I had seen more of them as we moved along. I had a vision that really, because my chin was down, I could see a, a circumference around my feet. And as we moved forward, I saw other beings around me, similar to these, what I thought at the time was bald children. Of course, later on, right. it, it matches the grays. Um, but... I knew something had happened. There was no doubt about it that something had happened to me. Later on, you know, these these experiences, that opened my consciousness to that reality, that dimension of my life that was taking place. And as the years passed, I certainly did have many more experiences, and I did have, um, you know, I didn't know at the time, because I, I, I didn't really begin to share my story until 2004, and I didn't begin any serious investigation all I did was keep it to myself, kept recording, recording, recording in my journals, drawing my drawings, everything that happened. Um, so I wasn't aware that other people had these things going on to this extent. But there were marks on my body many times, a lot of um, triangle puncture marks, uh, scoop marks. Uh, I could wake up and have uh, lots, of, lots of ear bleeding, nasal bleeding. Um, and then, of course, when that would coincide with a conscious memory, that something had happened during the evening, you know, that certainly led me to believe that the, I was suffering from this paranoia, whether this um, particular paranormal event. Yeah. Um, I would expect that maybe after that experience, I would have, if, if, I, if I was in your shoes and just experienced this thing at night um, in, a, in an odd remote location, I might start to question whether or not I was hallucinating or I had been dreaming or any of those things. Did you go through that process yourself? Oh, of course I did. Now, um, when we got outside in the morning, I stepped out as soon as it was light, and Pamela got up, and I told her that some very bizarre experience had happened. I wasn't sure what it was. I was shaken to the core, all right? And this is not my personality by any stretch. We packed up because I said I couldn't continue the trip. I had to go home. And she was, you know, she was very compassionate about it. We packed up our belongings, but once we started packing up, it was very curious that all of my belongings were gone. We had put all of our camping equipment, food, lantern, all of those things, and our backpacks with personal belongings out there. I had a towel, backpack, um, sandals, those things. Everything that was mine was gone. Nothing of hers was gone. Really? And we searched the, yeah, and we searched the area. I mean, we really searched the area. This this uh, spot was uh, right along uh, Oak Creek Canyon, and the creek runs through there. You could actually hear it from where we were uh, where we were camping. And, 
I mean, we, we did a wide search area. And that really was the icing on the cake for me, you know, because that was definitely some kind of strange physical demonstration that something related to me had happened, certainly. Nadine, I, I, I can't imagine there wasn't a lot of fear going through your mind uh, after that happened, not just, you know, for the moments after it happened, but probably, yeah. you know, for the weeks after it happened. Uh, how did you start to reconcile that with yourself? Well, I have a very strong uh, spiritual foundation. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, you, in your show, you're involved with the paranormal, and you work with the um, the, the ghost theme, that, that realm. Mm-hmm. I had done a lot of study in that area, okay? I've a very, been very involved in meditation for, year, for many years, um, very involved in studying consciousness, states of consciousness, um, using, uh, you know, depri- uh, deprivation tanks, sensory yep. deprivation tanks. Mm-hmm. I did those a lot in Michigan. So, so you you you, you kind of had a, a a psychology that was a bit trained to be able to handle yes. odd situations, which not everybody has. Um, but you must have, even though you didn't really start sharing this story and really uh, getting into researching and exploring these ideas until thirteen years later, you must have had a great curiosity of uh, what was happening and why you. Oh yeah, I think you know. First of all. You know, all of these experiences, um, this ET contact um, comes in a variety of ways. It's not always physical. Uh, My personal experience, although it continued for decades, only a percentage of it appeared to be physical. Others appeared to be taking place in an astral realm. Things such as lucid dreaming, they enter your your lucid dreaming. Um, So it comes in different ways. Um, And I think initially, you know, that first year out, I was, um, it, it really, really bothered me. It, it came into my mind consciously. But, you know, I, I did work in a very conservative field, in the legal field, and I had to find some way to put a period on that sentence, turn yeah. it off, get up, go to work in the morning, and then come home. And certainly there'd be lingering feelings was, that was going to be, is this going to happen again? Is right. it going to happen tonight? And I saw shifts happen where suddenly I became afraid of things that I had never been afraid of before. I was checking behind the seat in my car. I was, you know, checking in the closet at home. Um, strange things. Wake up and feeling like someone's in the room with me. So it was difficult. Um, and then I, I was obsessed with moving uh, from California, and I did. I, I packed up in very short order after this experience, flew out to um, Santa Fe, and made the decision to move there. I didn't know anybody there. And once I got there, this would have been in the spring of 92, um, the experiences really, really intensified. So I'm not one to be, um, I'm not much of a victim. I'm not one to be chased down. I do believe in logic, and I absolutely believe there had to be some logic to this. And so the only way, you know, and of course I worked in litigation for years and, you know, preparing cases for court and for trial. And so that was really helpful because I could start to log everything down. This happened, that happened. What did I see? What did I smell? Did that feel like a real experience? So I got very good at cataloging and writing everything down. And, and it gave me a sense of uh, some sense of security and some sense of personal control, writing all this down. I became very determined. Um, to not miss anything that I could possibly, you know, not miss. And 
I think it, that's why I ended up with literally dozens of journals with details. And I made a point of drawing everything out that I could remember, and I would write come and I would write immediately after an experience. Some of the information was so prolific that I would actually use an audio recorder. And I think it's because of the years of meditating. Um, I've also, for 25, 30 years, I have used sound and light machines for brain entrainment, you know, for um, uh, it helps you with your memory. It helps you in focus. You know, if you can use the sound and light machine before you go to work. And so I, I had a lot of interest in the brain and exercising it, so to say. So I think that's part of why I went at it the way I did. And I, I was embarrassed, you know. I, yeah. I didn't want to talk about it and be made fun of. Right. That's I didn't a, want to be judged. That's a fear a lot of people have. And I'm sure as you told your story, you had people coming out to you saying, hey, I had a similar experience and I've been afraid to tell anybody, but I, and now I know oh, yeah. I can share it with you. I'm sure that was pretty common. And, and it still is, I imagine. Oh, yeah. I mean, really, you know, I think initially when I started talking about this, I did the first book. Um, after I had got all of my material down and organized, I, I reviewed 100 case files of Barbara Lamb, psychotherapist Barbara Lamb, and we decided to do a book together because she had helped me address this initially. Um, we started end of 04, beginning of 05. We did some regressions, and she helped me kind of ease into this and understand that this phenomenon was an ongoing, ongoing offense for many, many people, mm-hmm. and I was one of many. But... Um, I think initially I was very concerned about it getting back to my work. I was concerned, uh, you know, family and friends, how they would think of me, how they would judge me. So I was very tentative, you know, as the years have passed. And, you know, I just did this recent book, Evolution, and that encapsulates the mass amount of, of my experience. I don't have that feeling anymore. I'm very confident that I have been a participant involved in this paranormal Type of activity, and um, it is what it is. You know, I'm not the judgment. Of course, I retired from legal, so I'm not so concerned about that aspect. Just if you're joining us, um, we're talking with Nadine Lalich about her ET encounters and personal experiences. She's written a couple of books, including Evolution, Coming to Terms with the ET Presence, and Alien Experiences: Twenty Five Cases of Close Encounters. And we're going to get into more detail about those books. Also, you can find out more information about all of her work and information at alienexperiences.com. Nadine, when did you, through this process, and maybe it was much later, but you must have been asking the question, why me? Why was I picked? I mean, obviously, you were in a van at that with that first experience mm-hmm. with someone else. That person was kept asleep intentionally right. while you had this experience. You must have asked, why me? Did you ever get an answer to that question for yourself? Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, but that came a long, that came years later. Um, I did not want to tarnish my own recording of my own experiences, and I'm glad that I did that. But I also did have to, it was a challenge to deal with this solely by myself. But when I did start to talk about this, and I stepped out into the field, and I began to talk to people, and I initially had, I went to some MUFON meetings, and that's how I ended up meeting Barbara Lamb, too. And I was stunned when I found out there was this whole world out there. And, and a whole world of experiencers and abductees and people experiencing very unusual events and very similar to mine. Um, I, at some point, it was probably, you know, when we were working on the first book together, that I encountered the whole genetic theme 
And many of my experiences reflected that. And the genetic theme, meaning my case also is such that I was presented with a hybrid, um, a hybrid uh, child as an adult and earlier as a child, that I was uh, presented uh, through a window seeing uh, very malformed hybrid children. These are all of conscious recollections. What I really came to terms with is that I think it's very simple, actually. I just fell into a genetic line. Hmm, okay. And nobody's special. But, you know, it's what we do. If we look at uh, laboratories, they raise a whole genetic line of white rats or white mice, and they stay with that genetic line. So there has been something happening genetically around the globe, um, and I fell into that. And my father also. You know, it, it, as I explored this, it really made a lot of sense when I look back into my childhood. Some of the things that I had no answers for as I was growing up, some of the things about my father and my father's family suddenly came to light and um, started to make more sense. So as time went on, I began to realize that it is a, it is a possibility that that whole genetic line of the Lelich family was involved in that genetic line, my father, myself. And so I think it is simply that. I find that really interesting because we've had more and more discussions, some on this, this program, about uh, genetic manipulation by extraterrestrials. In fact, in some ways, creation of what we would consider to be modern humans by a genetic manipulation by extraterrestrials. If any of that is true, if there is fa some, some fact in that particular theory, uh, could it be that certain genetic uh, lines, if you will, certain genetics, uh, and in your case, the Lalich line, are uh, being monitored by the extraterrestrials for either further manipulation or maybe just to, to determine um, progress, outcome, and effectiveness? Well, I think I think there's multiple reasons that they would genetically be, um, you know, working in the human race. First of all, certainly to produce hybrids, you know, uh, that there's just so much evidence from experience you're talking about um, seeing a hybrid child, seeing malformed children. Um, I've never seen children in tubes or embryos in tubes of liquid. Some people describe that. So certainly create the creation of a hybrid race, it may very well be something happening. The other thing is we may have been seeded, and I lean in that direction to mm -hmm. believe that, you know, like uh, Zachariah Sitchin, his whole studies are very yep. fascinating. Yep. Yeah, it, it is a fascinating line of inquiry and thought, and it seems to be gaining more and more supportive mm -hmm. information. Are you finding that? Are you, are you as you tell your stories, as you do your research, as you uh, communicate with other people, are you finding more evidence that supports that whole idea? Oh, oh, yes. I, I have, um, you know, I have a lot of people uh, write to me. And, um, you know, I also talk to them on the phone, too, if somebody wants to talk, because this is very challenging for anybody to come to terms with. But I see that theme also. You know, I certainly saw it when we worked in the first book. Uh, I went over a hundred of Barbara's files. And then later on in succeeding years, of course, I talked to so many people and at conferences. And um, absolutely, there. what you find is you find uh, one or both sides of the family, it, that it's, their parents had it, and then their children have it. And so yeah. it seems to be a very common thread running through it. 
Let's talk a little bit about what you've learned um, from these experiences. Actually, before we get into that, how often would these experiences occur for you? And what was the span of time between that very first abduction experience until the next one? The first one, which was in 91, June of 91, Mm -hmm. obviously was a very conscious, startling experience. And I had only bits and pieces. I would wake up with feelings and bits and pieces of something and nothing specific. But by the time I moved to um, New Mexico uh, in the spring of 92, I would say, and I, and again, you know, it's very strange. You watch your behavior shift and you know yourself, but you question, why do I suddenly want to do this, do that, drive out into the, you know, into the wilderness in the middle of the night, certain things you do. And once I got there, I rented a home in a fairly remote area. Didn't really question it for some reason. And um, I began to have experiences on a weekly basis. Weekly? Yes, on a weekly basis. It was very, very frequent initially. And the initial ones were were very physical. A lot of physical testing um, and a lot of... Um, examinations, a lot of what appeared to be eggs being removed, which I understand is fairly typical anymore. But um, as time passed, the types of contacts changed over the years. So initially that first year was very intense. And then I could have one or two in a month and not have one for three months. And then as the years had passed, it went from being physical. Once menopause, once I was in my 50s and menopause hit, then that changed dramatically. There was none of those same physical kinds of contacts, examinations on a table, things like that. Um, it, it turned into something very different, uh, more with um, very strange technology being presented to me, uh, testing and training of some type, strange kind of um, uh, equipment that I would almost call a very uh, alien kind of computer that I was put on and, and told to use. So it really shifted over the years, but um, it was it was quite involved initially, very involved. Nadine, were those uh, subsequent experiences similar in the sense that you didn't remember a period of time? Uh, obviously, at some point you started to recollect because you you've been able to describe some of it. But was mm-hmm. that was that a progression, or um, did it did it happen well, all at once? Where you suddenly could remember some of this, and did you black out uh, for periods of time with those subsequent uh, abductions? Now, the way I, I I kind of look at it this way, and I like to have a I like in this book I just said I have fifty illustrations and photographs because mm-hmm. you know a picture is worth a thousand words, and one of the things I, I do for an analogy is you imagine the old uh, strip of film from the old cameras, yep, and. You get these frames, say about five or six frames. And what happens is that I have an extraordinary amount of conscious recall. I mean, to the point of sometimes I'm in the middle of one of these things and I'm pinching my arm and going, my God, my God, I'm really here. This is unbelievable. But what happens is it comes in fragments. So, for example, you start, the contact begins. And say this is a, one of the physical ones, which I would say maybe are 15, 20% of the time physical. Mm-hmm. And it begins. And um, you might have, as you go into this experience, you're aware that you're being taken. You're aware of things in the room. You're aware that there's other beings there with you. You feel yourself being moved or floated. You know it's starting to happen. Then you lose consciousness. 
Then you might come to another 15 minutes later, 10 minutes later, and you get another two or three minutes that you're able to stay awake. Because, of course, they, they employ methods to right. try to um, distort the experience. So you cannot ever expect that you're getting 100% of anything, whether it's conscious, I believe, or whether it's hypnotherapy. Um, so it's a fragmented picture like a puzzle. Piece of puzzle, piece of puzzle. You come in, you come out, you come in, you come out. But what I do afterwards is I can I look at those and try to find some flow to it, and I'm able to be able to create a picture with it. And honestly, I have really worked hard. It's my way of fighting back to try to stay conscious as much as I can. But truly, 95% of my memories are all conscious recall. There's only six or seven um hypnotic regressions that I've ever done. And when I did do those on some of them, uh, there was certainly no conflict. It enhanced it, but what it did is it filled in pieces between those fragments of conscious memory. During any of these experiences, did you ever come across any other humans that were abducted at the same time, going through some of the same things that you were, while you were going through it, not afterward? Yes. Um, I had an experience, and you know, when things happen uh, individually, you 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 know you kind of um, separate it. You just you you process it and then move on. I was 16 years old, and I was out um, on a date with my boyfriend. He was 17 at the time, and um, we uh, we were driving. And I grew up in Michigan, very wooded area, and we were driving in uh, Metro Park one evening, and we saw a craft overhead. And it was the first time I had ever seen anything. And this was fully awake and fully conscious. We both saw it. We were so intrigued by it because it was very low to the ground, and we began to follow it underneath it. Next thing you know, we woke up, and um, it was 2.30 in the morning, and we had lost hours of time. And we just were very groggy, didn't know what happened. All we remembered was following this very bizarre round saucer craft that was over the car. And uh, it was probably, I don't know, maybe 1130 at night, something like that. So we lost a few hours. And, you know, it was many years later in retrospect when I began to look back and I began to pick up pieces from those early years and recognize that something did indeed happen. That particular experience was uh, later followed up with a regression. And um, in that particular experience, both he and I were there, and we were both being examined. It was a very detailed event. Um, I've also, on one of the other experiences years later before my father died, I recalled seeing him on a craft. He was very hysterical. You saw your father? Moved, yes. Oh, wow. Yes. And being moved out of a room. What so... Go ahead. You, know, you mentioned that this was something that seemed to be part of your fa- father's genetic line, his mm-hmm. family. Um, did you have conversations with your father about this? Well, boy, I wish we'd had more. He he was, um, you know, he was a, it was a different family. It was an unusual family, that side of the family. Um, some of it I attributed initially to they were they came from Croatia. And I attributed some of it to, you know, it was a, it was just because of where they had come from. It was a different, different state of mind. And um, but stories came out during the holidays, and 
and I had heard a number of my aunts. There were 10 children on that side of the family, and um, it was a story that a number of them told as they grew up of seeing him, his name was Tom, seeing Tom um, go to a window in the middle of the night, and they lived in the Upper Peninsula in Michigan in those days. That was in the, the uh, 20s and 30s, and that's really a remote area up there. And um, they would see him go to the window, and they wouldn't be able to wake him up. And there was a number of times he just stepped out the second-story window and literally disappeared. And three of my aunts would tell me about that together and individually. We'd had talks and things at holidays when we got together, and they never could understand. They could never find him. My grandmother would she'd send one of the girls off to try to find him. They'd never found him. Two or three hours later, he'd come back with no memory of it. And um, that was a very strange thing that I heard many times. Also, that side of the family um, had some very strong um, psychic interests, which was very unusual. You know, it's you don't go to your family on Thanksgiving and play, you know, telepathy games, but we did. It was very strange. You know, I didn't question it at the time because I enjoyed it so much. But it was it was a strange side of the family, and they all had an extremely high intellect, mm. including my grandfather. Um, but um, there was a lot of signs that something very unusual had transpired on that side. Do you believe there's a connection between that psychic sensitivities and this alien connection? Well, I think that could be a possibility. I think it's a possibility. Um, for example, if I would talk about my father, um, he was, um, he had an extraordinarily high IQ. He was actually in the low 160s. I'd never met anyone in my life as remarkable as he was. Um, he had a photographic memory where he could just flip a page. Uh, his degree of creativity, um, he, you know, read through encyclopedias just for fun. Um, he just had a, a stunning intellect and creative side, and he spoke multiple languages, and so did my grandfather, many languages, and I'm talking like nine, ten languages. Um, they were very unusual. They were very different. Um, now, the only thing, again, you know, the best you can hope with this is to create some kind of hypothesis. It's not a black and white environment, and I don't have that mindset. But I just keep gathering the information, and if indeed this is part of a genetic line and there are families that are part of a genetic experimentation by, you know, extraterrestrials, higher intelligent, and they've seeded us, and maybe they've continued to work with the race to evolve us in a different way, why not intellect? Yeah. Why not expand telepathy? You know, um, a, lot of, a lot of connection could possibly be there. I think everything is connected. You know, also, and a lot of the paranormal events. Yeah, you know, there were also a lot of paranormal events growing up in the house. Things we saw, apparitions, things that happened, and um, it may it may all have a thread of connection. We're talking tonight with Nadine Lalich, and we're talking about her uh, alien experiences, her ET contact. We're going to continue that conversation. She's written books about the experiences and about aliens in general. Uh, books include Evolution, Coming to Terms with the E.T. Presence, and Alien Experiences, 25 Cases of Close Encounters. By the way, if you listen as a downloadable podcast, if you listen to that version of the program, we welcome you, of course. And we'd love for you to look for us uh, during the live 
broadcast on a great radio station. Or also, you can find us on YouTube. You can find us on Twitch. And if you just search for JV Johnson on either one of those platforms, you'll find it rather easily. We stream live there um, Monday through Friday nights generally at 11 p.m. Eastern. Not always Friday night. Sometimes we don't do a Friday night show. But certainly Monday through Thursdays at 11 p.m. Eastern. We are live. You can join our chat room. You can uh, comment. You can be part of the program. Tonight we're talking with Nadine Lalich about her extraterrestrial contact experiences. She's got a lot of information because she's an author, a researcher, and of course an experiencer. Her books include Evolution, Coming to Terms with the ET Presence and Alien Experiences, 25 Cases of Close Encounters. Um, You also have a children's book, Nadine. Is that right? I do. <laughs> is that does that kind have anything a... to do with with the what we're talking about tonight, or is it something completely different? Oh no no no! I'm um, I'm a um, you know dyed in the wool optimist, and um, really very involved in psychology and positive thinking. And so it's a children's book, could be for adult also. But I've been cartooning my entire life, and that's been one of my other little. Uh, obsessions, and so uh, I'm an illustrator, so I wrote and illustrated the children's book about uh, positive thinking and how to work with your mind and to stay on track and to create the life you want. One of the things that you've learned through these uh, frequent alien abduction situations and contacts that you've had is you've learned something about alien technology. Tell me what you've experienced, what you've seen, and, uh, um, you know, what you know of some of this technology they've employed, either with you or in other cases? Ooh, that's one of my favorite uh, areas. Um, very intriguing stuff. Um, let's talk about first uh, Linda Moulton Howe, years and years later, after I had recorded all of my experiences and drawn them out, I later on listened to a talk that she had given, and I was just stunned when she described an apparatus that I had seen. My recollection, uh, conscious recollection, is a being on what appeared to be a craft. Sitting in front of me was um, a piece of equipment that was probably, um, I referred to it initially as a light box. But as I thought about it over the years, I realized it could very well be some kind of a computer, an optic computer. And so what you had was a box that was maybe uh, 12, 13 inches long, uh, 6 inches wide. It had a light that emanated from within it, and it was filled with very thin acrylic or plastic type of sheets. And what they wanted you to do is to take one sheet, lift it up, and when you lift each sheet up, what you had was these very pointy, bizarre um, cutouts into the sheet. And... Um, There were these strange designs, very strange designs, but in each design, in the center of it, stretched across it, was a film. And this film was very uh, iridescent. And what you would do is you were to take and lift each sheet, and you would look at each one for a couple of moments, move to the next design, look at it, the next one. And you would go through, and each sheet might have eight or ten of those uh, cutout designs on it with the film, and then you'd go to the next sheet. Now, What could have been happening here is I referred to it initially as a light box. Mm -hmm. I knew they were were doing something with my mind. But what if indeed, and of course later on, um, Linda had talked in one of her talks about it. What if indeed that film was some type of optical light sensor, some type of... um, 
equipment that let off like an energy, some kind of energy or vibration or light pulse that actually entered the optic nerve of the eye and made its way to the brain. So could there have been information on there and that simply by viewing that film, that information, it actually made its way into the human brain when you looked at it? That was one extremely fascinating piece of equipment. Another one was um, what I call sound tubes, vibration and sound tubes. Now, these were set in front of me, and there was probably a dozen of them. The tallest would maybe be uh, 16, 18 inches. They were small glass tubes, uh, an inch or two inches across. Carved on the outside were similar symbols of what was in the symbol box. Carved on the outside, etched. But each one had clear liquid in it to a different degree, a different height. And there was a sound that came out of it. So that was some kind of vibrational audio uh, piece of equipment that may well have been another way of manipulating the human mind when we were in, you know, in close proximity to it. Uh, another one that was absolutely fascinating was, you know, when you have these experiences, they and the ones that appear appear to be physical, they use holograms that drop down in front of you. And I have been in rooms with humans, a number of humans, where these holograms have dropped down. They show devastation on the planet, all of that. But in one of these experiences, what they showed was what looked almost like a um, like a capsule coming from um, outside space, outer space, and coming down into the earth. They showed a city that looked very much like Las Vegas. And when this capsule hit the ground, it bore into the ground very deeply. And as it did, big metal arms came out, and it spun under the ground. In that particular experience, they suggested that they had the capability to affect, to distort, affect, hypnotize the um, cerebral processes of of people in a whole entire city that everything was not just a mind scan or a small one-on-one, that they could actually do things, affect the minds of a massive number of people by actual equipment that they would instill within the earth. Very interesting stuff. Wow. And I have, I have drawings of that in, the, um, in this new book, too. Have you ever shared, I'm sure you have, I'm sure the answer is yes, um, but shared some of these uh, observations with... Um, I guess what we would consider to be terrestrial scientists to get their opinion and their and their thoughts on some of this technology. Well, you know, I, I not really in one on one, not really on one and none. I have looked up and investigated myself afterwards, looked at some things. Now, what I, for example, with that piece of equipment that goes underground like that, it, it very much because uh, I was trying to find something like it, and that's where you start to find you know, draw a connection as to whether or not, is this possible or is it not possible? How, you know, how possible is this? And so I actually was looking at some of the gigantic, massive boring machines they use to dig underground caverns. And it looked very much like what they had represented in this hologram. Um but have I sat down with a scientist? No. I've given talks or been in groups with people. Um, uh, you know, Bob Wood used to go to the MUFON meeting. I had conversations with him over in Orange County. Um, so, you know, there's been conversations here and there, but nothing specifically 
uh, with a scientist looking, you know, intimately at any of these. I um, want to talk about hybrids a little bit. You mentioned the word hybrid. Uh, a couple times d- during this discussion already. What are we talking about when we talk about hybrids, and what's their role in all of this? Um, well, what was presented to me in my experiences was that genetic material, meaning eggs, had been removed from me, and potentially those eggs had been uh, mated with semen from uh, semen or other cells, somehow, however they do it, Mm -hmm. genetic material from another species. And then the result was this hybrid that they presented me with that was about 22 years old. And it was the, she looked identical to the child that I had what I thought was a reoccurring dream in my 20s um, that looked just like her, but as a child. Um, And there were several instances where we, they tried to engage us together. Um, so what is their role? Um, on one hand, again, back to genetic, it's in, and breeding, they're breeding different species. They're trying, I don't know if they're trying to create a better human shell, human body. Um, but I also had a number of instances where they suggested that they were actually using, by creating the hybrid, they would then take the blood from the hybrid, certain elements, and use it in their own species that would allow them to shift their own immune system that would allow them to be on the planet and also possibly to be better on their own planet. So something about uh, one or more species having difficulty with their immunity. Recently, the United States military has admitted that they have video footage, which most of us have already seen before they admitted to what it was, that it's a craft that they can't explain. Uh, They don't go as far as saying it's extraterrestrial craft, but they say that this is something that we cannot, we have no earthly explanation for. And then even more recently, there was discussion that the military is is now admitting that they actually have um, evidence of or actually physical uh, um, pieces of, a, an, I'm not sure how to put this, but a non-terrestrial craft. And I think the quote was, not of this earth. What are your thoughts on right. all of this? Are we starting to turn a corner here with disclosure? Uh, that comes up in conversation a lot. Um, governmental disclosure, um, is it going to happen? Um, I am not someone... I'm. I, I, I'm just not someone who particularly believes there's going to be any big governmental disclosure worldwide. I just don't see it happening. That they don't need to, first of all. They have their own clandestine motives, various agencies for what they're doing. Um, you know, the military complex, of course, is deeply involved. And what do they want to do? They always want the, the upper hand, so they want to get technology first and foremost and, you know, be the winner and and take the lead, have the power. Um, of course, also, any governments that ever came out and disclosed and said, yes, actually, that was somebody at Roswell, it really wasn't extraterrestrial, and then they have to face the repercussions of all those years of lying. I just think it's too much to expect that degree of honesty and forthright behavior from the government. But I think disclosure is happening. 
because we have people talking about it. We have many, many more people coming to the forefront now, people who have had strange experiences, paranormal experiences with ETs like I have. We have so many more shows like your own, uh, so many open discussions happening. So I believe disclosure is happening, and we are disclosure, not the government. Interesting. Interesting perspective. I like hearing that, actually. Uh, what other, I know you've written about and included in your book some um, interaction between military and extraterrestrials. What else do you are you aware of? Are you referring to uh, military specifically? Yeah, well, my lab. yeah exactly. Well, um, that was a big shock for me. Um, after I started talking openly in public, after the first book, is when I had an overwhelming, uh, fully conscious experience with what appeared to be military. There's a very definite distinction between these experiences. There's no way of confusing the two at all. Um, there's no telepathy going on. Communication is verbal. Um, you're physically removed from your house to the front door. Mm. There's helicopters involved. Um, I've had uh, several very profound experiences, uh, one in an underground where it appeared I was taken to an underground installation. Now, they do inject you with drugs. And um, another one where it appeared I was taken to an underwater uh, facility. Um, but again, with both the ET phenomenon and the military phenomenon, um, in no way do I ever want to say that this is a black and white experience, an absolute. You know, in both cases, you are having your perception and your memory altered to some degree. So the best that we can really do with this is collect all that we can recall and put the pieces together as best we can and build a hypothesis. I will never stand up and say 100% this is exactly the way it is, but I can see the direction it goes. Um, I can develop a theory on it, what I believe, and that evolves continually as time passes. But I, I think it makes a great deal of sense that government, uh, various agencies within the government, would want to, want to get as much information as they could. I think, indeed, they are working um, in concert with possibly several species. I do believe that. Um, but they still need as much information as they can. You know, that's the way we operate, face-to-face -face and in clandestine operations. So the idea that they would go to people who stand up and, and describe experiences, that they would take those people later on, some of them certainly, and query them to find out what they might have seen or known makes a lot of sense to me. It doesn't seem so strange. Did you see any indication if uh, the military is working with the extraterrestrials that they're sharing technology? Absolutely. Really? Absolutely. Um, one of the experiences, and again, these are conscious memories. They're very strong memories. Um, one of these that happened, and, and this was, um, I don't know the exact year, 2010, 2011, something like that. And, and I had awakened um, in my bed. Um, my dog woke me up, and uh, there was someone in my room, and I was taken from my home through the front door, and then I did lose consciousness for a certain period of time after I was taken and stepped up into a helicopter, a silent 
hovering helicopter that was over top of the parking structures. I was living in a condo in Laguna Woods, California at the time. And I did lose some consciousness during the actual travel. Then I recall going in the side of a mountain with a very large metal door, going down a, um, a round cylindrical clear glass elevator with um, a, a man in uniform. Um, and we passed a number of floors, and on one of those floors, certainly, and throughout this experience, I saw at a great distance a craft being built as we moved down through this elevator. And you could see, um, now, I mean, it's quite a distance. I would say the figures were probably an inch, inch and a half. That's how far away they were. But there were humans and what looked like tall white ETs working together on a very bizarre craft as we, as we lowered through this um, round elevator. As we went to the bottom, I distinctly saw that craft, and I saw different species working with humans on it. How many different species have you been in contact with that you're aware of? Oh, now I don't have them all in the book. Mm -hmm. I will tell you that. But there has been eight or nine of them. And the only ones that I describe in the book that I talk about in this last book are those that I have a conscious, a solid conscious recollection of. Those are the only ones I included. There are none where, there are some that I left out that came out in regression only. Those I did not include. They had to have both. Oh. So the, the, some of those have a supplemental regression to them that's in this current book, but they all have conscious recollection, quite a bit of material. Those that were only came out in regression are not included. But um, there's been a variety of species. Do these spe in, uh, s different species work together? Or they, do they all have their own agenda? Oh, I, there are several that work together. For example, tall grays, short grays, tall whites, um, the reptilian race, um, the mantis race. They work together. I've seen them all mingled up together, and I've seen them with humans. Now, I have the only ones I've seen with humans are the tall whites or what looks like cloned humans, soldiers with humans. Um, the other species have come independently, separate, not working together. And that brings up probably one of the more important questions. What is their agenda? What are they trying to achieve? Well, um, it's only an opinion, but um, I think it depends what species you're talking about. Now, I hear people talk about some really loving spiritual experiences where, you know, they have people who look very human, um, ETs that look very human, or the Nordics. Um, I hear of different species, and um, they describe them very differently, very positive. Um, I think that it depends on the species. Some are definitely genetically interested. I think, curiously enough, I have only seen one member of one particular species, which looks like the praying mantis. I've seen one. I have recollection of being with one repeatedly over the years, always involving some kind of training and testing. Only one. And from that species, believe it or not, as bizarre and gross as they look, 
there was actually a very strong um, emanation of positive energy and a strong feeling of support and some kind of emotional connection coming from them. Um, so that was strictly from a scientific. They appear to be very scientifically inclined and have a positive uh, affinity for humanity. Um, the tall lights that I've seen, uh, I've picked up nothing but disdain, nothing positive from them. Uh, the small grays seem like automatons. They have a, a hive mind, not much individuality at all, working just sort of mechanically. Um, tall grays have a um, much more conscious presence, much more interaction. So I think it depends. And certainly when you're talking about the tall whites and the grays, you are, you know, you're looking at genetic manipulation. And it may be for to enhance their own species, to change our species, to create hybrids for their own reasons, to create hybrids to be on this planet. I don't think anybody, you know, you hear people, they want to take over the planet. If they wanted to take over the planet, these off-planet intelligences are so far beyond us, they could have done anything at any time. Now, I know the atomic age really shifted things. It definitely did. So that is certainly a possibility, but um, I, I don't think they're coming to take over. I think their curiosity in us as a species is on many levels. They're watching us develop on our own, and they're, they are altering us. They continue to alter us. So there's a lot of reasons depending on the species. So do we have to worry about uh, any evil intent or nefariousness? Evil. Well, that's interesting because... Um, you know, that's, a, that's an individual perspective. What do you consider evil? You know, initially when these things right. go on and you're thrown into this, this unbelievable, you know, awareness, everything is terrifying, everything is evil, everything is awful. Um, I hated the whole thing. Uh, it was everything about it was bad and evil. Ultimately, as I have worked with it over the years, you know, it is what it is. I can't change it. I couldn't change it. I tried various methods. didn't seem to stop it. But I decided to work with it and use it to my benefit. As a result, my vastly expanded view of reality has done nothing but improve my life, opened up doors, uh, sent me on new paths. So it's become something very positive in that regard. Um do I think there's evil species out there that have nefarious intentions? Yeah, sure. They're not going to be that different from us. You know, we on our planet, right? We have different uh, different agendas going on on this planet, and I think that could be the same thing. But I also sense that if indeed that is the case, I think there may be some protection afforded us by different species looking out for our planet. You have experienced more than just what we would call extraterrestrial contact. Uh, you've had other encounters of, I guess we would call them different types of beings or creatures. Talk to us about that a little bit. Um, well, I've had, um, when we were growing up in our house, we had a frequent apparition in our home. And uh, we all saw it. I grew up just in a family of four. I had an older brother, five years older. And the four of us saw this apparition off and on throughout the years, and 
simply all that it really was, was you'd be in a room doing something, you'd feel someone was looking at you, you know, that sensation you get. And you would turn, there it would be. And it was more than anything. It, it, there was no strong features other than it looked like a cloud. It, it, it would hover off the ground a couple of feet, maybe three feet tall, a couple of feet wide, oval-shaped, but fuzzy at the sides, like it was a thick cloud hanging there. And you would turn and just look at it. And it would always be pretty close to you, six, seven feet, something like that. And you would turn and look at it, and then it would move very quickly. And as it moved, it would dissipate. Um, that was a very strange experience, and we all had it. We we talked about it. We used to joke about it because we were all a little freaked out by it growing up. Um, and we saw it together as a group. I even saw it outside in the backyard on one occasion. I was in the shed in the back, and there it was at the door. And then I stepped out, and it just whizzed and disappeared. Um, wow. I've had a, a number of strange experiences like that. Bob, do you do you feel like you've because of these alien encounters and experiences? Do you think that you've been given, or maybe just naturally have some additional sensitivities to these other things, these other phenomena? Uh, I think that's a good possibility. Now, I I've had a number of unbelievable clairvoyant um, dreams, and. Um, very powerful things. Uh, I discussed that recently with someone, and, and uh, one in particular was uh, dreaming on a Thursday night of getting onto the freeway. I was living in California at the time, and um, I the dream, I get onto the freeway, and I see a blonde woman standing in the middle of the freeway, and she crosses, and a car hits her, and she's decapitated. And I wake up from this, and I'm absolutely, you know, really disturbed by this right, dream, yeah. just a nightmare. I don't think any more of it. It's time. I went to work. I was working in Century City at a law firm there at the time, and I used to drive the service drive. You know, it's very busy there. The traffic's unreal. And when I would go to and from work, I always stayed on the service drive. But, of course, there were entrances where you could get on the freeway if you wanted, but I stayed off it all the time, 100% of the time. Coming home that next night on Friday, all of a sudden, for whatever reason, I find myself turning onto the ramp, getting onto the freeway once I'm on the service drive. I thought, oh, my God, why did I do that? Mm. No sooner do I hit the freeway. You know, in, in California there, we have stoplights, and you have to stop and then start, wait right. for to get on. Mm-hmm. Well, I started on, and as soon as I got at the end of that ramp at the light, there's that same blonde woman, and she's in the exact same place between the two lanes, and she's apparently her car had broken down. And she's standing there, and it's obvious she's thinking about crossing that freeway, the one side. Wow. And I, my heart was racing. I was terrified. And the, it was exactly the same woman, short, curly, blonde hair. And I pulled over. Uh, I was able, thank God, to get across that lane and pull over right behind her. And I waved her over to get into my car. And she didn't speak English at all, but I, you know, I motioned enough she understood. She got in. I was able to drive her over uh, to safety until we got a tow truck for her car. But those kinds of dreams have escalated over the years. Um, I have um, the love of my life committed suicide, unfortunately. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so sorry. Thank you. And I've had some very very strange experiences revolving around that. 
And the question I, you, you were pointing out is, do I think that this contact may have altered me in some way that allows me to see or hear or experience something different? And I think maybe it has, because it certainly escalated throughout my life. And if I want to see him, for example, I can ask to see him. I can go to sleep at night, and I can say, Keith, please come to me. I want to talk to you. I want to see you. Come to see me. And I will nine out of ten times that night, and at the latest the next night, he will come into my dream, and we will have an interaction. So there's some very strange things that have happened as these years have passed. We're going to run out of time here in a few minutes. What would you offer as advice to someone else who might be listening saying, wow, I've had experiences too, I just didn't know how to handle it or what to do. What kind of advice would you give someone like that? Well, I think it's important to find some way to, to get grounded. And, you know, I having a very strong spiritual platform to begin with, and I had studied metaphysics very early on in my life, and um, find some place where you're safe. One person to talk to that you feel safe with, um, and be careful who you share with and talk to so that you don't get shamed or embarrassed or driven back into yourself because exploring this can only be good. It can only be helpful. You know, uh, there's a saying in some circles that says you're as sick as you are secret. Take things out into the light. Look at them. Examine them. Keep your feet on the ground. Don't come to conclusions too quickly. You know, just gather your information. Be patient. Find somebody you can trust. Eventually, you know, go to an organization and it may have meetings. You know, do some investigating, but slowly, carefully, because it's a very challenging uh, experience when you try to incorporate this into an ordinary life. It really takes effort, time, patience, um, and you, you don't need to jump to conclusions. And I think you don't need to be terrified and afraid, because from what I've experienced and what I've seen from others, you know, yeah, there's some negative stories out there, but overall... You know, most of us, we're still here. Whatever is happening, we're still here. So, you know, I just think you approach it gently, but I think it's important to explore. It's part of, you know, if it's part of someone's life, it's important to explore. And on a positive side, it can so enrich and expand your view of reality, Yeah, you've, which is a very positive thing. Yeah, you've clearly had that experience. Uh, Nadine, tell us about the books themselves. Um it, both Alien Experiences plus Evolution, what can people expect uh, if they read those books? The first book, um, Alien Experiences, was with Barbara Lamb and myself, and I would say maybe um, a quarter of that book is introducing uh, the phenomenon itself. We also talk in there about how to deal with it, how to explore it in your own life. Um, there's 24, the synopsis is of 24 other cases, and then maybe a third of the book is on a lot of my initial experiences in a general, more general way. When it's evolution, evolution is, it encapsulates most of my experiences in this, in this area. And it has a lot of helpful information. There's a lot of actual transcripts in there, um, verbatim transcripts from different, um, regressions that we did have. I have 50 illustrations, drawings. I have actual uh, uh, copies of some of the diaries that I wrote, hand wrote, to show how this information was originally recorded. 
So it's a very comprehensive view of one person's experience with certain suggestions and a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of backup with the visual to help create the, uh, you know, the picture for someone. Mm-hmm. And where can people find both of the books? Well, they're on most, you know, online stores and Amazon. They're in paperback and audiobook and um, ebook, of course. So you can get them on Apple for the iPod and iPad. And um, if you type the name in, you pretty much find it on any of those stores. And also, if you, you can go to my website, and there's a lot of links there that will take you different places, and a lot of different research and information is there also. There's so much of your story and your knowledge and your and your experiences that we just didn't get to tonight. Uh, we just ran out of time. But thank you so much for being here tonight, Nadine. I hope I hope you'll agree to come back at some point. Oh, I would love to, and I really enjoyed it. And I thank you for taking the time to talk with me. Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.